Welcome to the Half Hill Report. News and items of interest for and about the village of Half Hill, the Valley of the Four Winds, Pandaria, and all of Azeroth. Half Hill Report is produced in cooperation with Half Hill Agricultural College, dedicated to serving the educational needs of the greater Valley of the Four Winds community. I'm your host, Tosh Mafuni, coming to you live as we do every week from the upstairs room at Half Hill's own Lazy Turnip Inn. We received another letter this week from everyone's favorite Draenei food and lodging critic, Velmic, who wrote to us from Boralus. And he writes, <clears throat> Hey there, Tosh. Daolin is recovering from her injuries she received in Nazjatar, and she tell me to thank you and your family for a nice package of Pandaren food. She will soon be strong enough to travel and will be coming back to Valley for some recovery time. We listened to last week's report from Eliandor. I am glad he is filling in for me while I am gone, but Dao Lin thinks he sounds like snob, and I have to say I think she is right. I always try to find something nice to say about every inn. People work hard to make inns the best they can, and I think it good to recognize that. I plan to do report for you next week, so wait for that. Velmic. Well, Velmic, I know everyone here at the Half-Hill Report is glad that Dowlin is getting better and will be able to come home soon. And as far as Eliandor, well, <laughs> I'm not really sure what to say. What do you think, listeners? Drop us a line about what you think about Eliandor, and maybe we'll read it on the show. Thanks for writing. And now, on with the news. Stories continue to reach Half-Hill of the ongoing conflict against the Naga forces led by Queen Ashara in Najjatar. Horde and Alliance champions continue to work with the native forces in the region, the Ancoans and the Unshackled, but have yet to join forces with each other against this common threat. However, recent reports are that both factions are entering Ashara's palace beneath Najjatar and may fight a joint offensive to bring down the Naga Queen. In local news, the Red Crane Society held a rally in Half-Hill in support of the newly discovered Rustbolt Rebellion of Mechagon. The outspoken Irie Freeflower, spokesperson for the society, stated that the forced mechanization of individuals without their consent was an act of technological oppression and must be immediately addressed. Exhorting the curious onlookers to action through a gnome-produced amplification system, she called for an immediate boycott of all engineering businesses and related crafts throughout Pandaria and Azeroth until this practice is stopped. And speaking of ironic, there's nothing ironic about the fine deals you'll find when you shop with the fine vendors at Half Hill Market. If you're looking for recipes to serve at your next rally, stop by and visit with the Iron Paw Culinary Institute at Half Hill Market. Open every day, all year round. A world of shopping, right here in our own backyard. It's time now for Dwarven Dispatches with Eamon Wetbranch, brought to you by Nessingwari Safari. As you heard in Eamon's last report, he is with his 7th Legion unit in Nazjatar. Let's see what he's up to this week. Hello, lad. Last time I wrote to you, I told you that one of the lads had found a local watering hole that we needed to visit. 
My unit had completed quite a number of stressful sorties into the interior of Nazjatar, and it felt like we just kept fighting the same battles over and over. I mean, really, how many snapdragons and drowned oracles can there possibly be? Well, after all that, we felt we deserved a little night out on the town, and we made our way to Redfin Village, where we weren't exactly welcomed with open arms by the local murlocs. We tried to explain that we were just looking for the tavern, but they were itching for a scrap, and we felt obliged to accommodate them. But, scraped up and thirsty, we finally made the underwater passage to Murgle's Bar and Grill, presided over by King Murgle Murgle himself, which I must say wasn't worth the fight to get there. It seems their chef, Muglerky, had lost his Muglergle. I have no bloody idea what a Muglergle is, but apparently it has something to do with providing food. The drinks were passable, but without any food to put in our stomachs, there were some pretty epic hangovers the next day. I'm no Velmic, but I have to say, all in all, it was a rather disappointing experience. Keep the home fires burning, lad. Well, I'm not sure what to say. It seems like everyone wants to be a food and lodging critic on this show. Dwarven Dispatches is sponsored by... Nessingwari Safari, who remind you that no one is meant for defeat. Checking the Azeroth calendar, the Dark Moon Fair wraps up today, so we hope you took advantage of this month's event. G&G Engineering is hosting a one-day event in Vastgir to assist them with research on bioluminescent creatures in the area. And start practicing those dance moves, because the one-day auction house dance party will be here in a little over a week. It's time now for our weekly feature, The Inside Story. And we are pleased to be joined again by Eliandor. <clears throat> so, Eliandor, welcome back. I hope your sister's mount, Mr. Puffles, is better after his bout of, um, flop-bot. Oh, yes. Hello again, Tashmafuni. Well, they did an adequate job of caring for him at Light's Hope Chapel. Shala was quite disappointed that they didn't have a proper groomer, so he looks a bit messy, but what can one expect from rustics? Okay, well, <laughs> I, I'm glad he's better. I guess that means that you and Shala were able to make it to Shatrath? You would think so, wouldn't you? The goblins there offered us a ridiculously overpriced flight on a questionable piece of transport, which... We, of course, declined. Shala said that no one in their right minds would travel on a goblin-made transport. I was, however, able to negotiate with them for a map and directions to the Dark Portal. Oh, good. So, you made it to the Dark Portal, at least? Not as such, no. The map and directions turned out to be all but useless, and we got hopelessly lost before we had to stop for the night. Mr. Puffles has bad night vision, you know. You know, now that I think about it, I think that goblin may have given us bad directions on purpose. Well, <laughs> given what you said, that wouldn't surprise me at all, actually. Whatever do you mean? N nothing, never mind. So, <laughs> where did you end up? In an absolutely abysmal place called Enderhall. Okay, so did it at least have an inn? Well, if you can call it that, yes. 
The Garners, a rude but surprisingly enterprising family of undead, have converted a church to an inn there. Oh, well, that actually sounds lovely. How was it? Well, frankly, it smelled bad. I mean, it smelled bad. I don't know if you have any experience with the undead. I actually, I do. We interviewed an undead, a Coldorn Solcris, right here on the show. And yes, I know what you mean about the smell. Yes, well, I mean they can hardly help it. But between the undead and the plague machines, the miasma there was overwhelming. Poor Shala was all but ill from the stench. You know, sometimes putting some food on your stomach helps in those situations. Did, did she try eating something? Well, Albert Garner had a small selection of food, some breads and drinks, but when I suggested it, Shala went paler than Albert. She pulled me aside and whispered that she wouldn't even consider eating food that had been handled by one of those people. Those people, nice. Okay, so no go on the food. So since you had to stay overnight, I almost hesitate to ask, what about the accommodations? Well, you will hardly believe this, dear fellow, but when we asked, they showed us to a room downstairs and offered us coffins to sleep in. Can you believe it? I mean, perhaps if they had been lined in satin, we would have considered it, but these were simple wooden crates. One must have standards, you know. Sure, I guess so. Why not? So, where did you sleep? Well, there was a room upstairs, an office of some sort, I don't know. So Shala cleared off the desk and slept there with her cloak over her. I made do with pulling a couple of the chairs together. It was an absolutely wretched night, what with the noise of the battle and all. So I'm guessing that the inn at Anderhall, by your scale, unacceptable? Actually, Shala and I agreed that this was even less than unacceptable. It was atrocious. <laughs> a new low, huh? Yes, and hopefully the last for some time. Well, <laughs> for everyone's sake, let's hope so. So, until next time then? Yes, I suppose so. As always, we are coming to you live from the Lazy Turnip Inn in the heart of Half Hill, the little town that time forgot and the years can't improve. Come on by and say hi, won't you? And don't forget to ask Den Den for a cold, refreshing Storm Stout brew. Brewed right here in the valley by the fine Pandarans at Storm Stout Brewery. When in doubt, reach for a Storm Stout. Well, thanks for joining me again this week, folks. And be sure to tune in right after the show for another exciting episode of The Chronicles of Gadget and Cadfile. See you next time. And remember... Free Pandaria. Welcome to another installment of The Chronicles of Gadget and Cadfile, a series of stories told to me by Brother Cadfile, a gnomish monk who has retired to the Tian Monastery, about his amazing adventures with Gadget, 
a gnomish engineer who has a knack for getting involved in some real mysteries around Azeroth. This week, Brother Cadfile continues his story about their involvement with a murder mystery in Westfall. Hello, Brother Cadfile, are you home? Hello, hello, yes, Tash Mifuni. Yes, I'm just bringing some things out from the kitchen. I made extra tea and cakes for us this week, since you seem to have <laughs> quite the appetite. <laughs> well, thank you, Brother Cadfile, but my real appetite is for your stories. Are you going to tell us more about the murder mystery you and Gadget solved in Westfall this week? When we finished last time, you just had an encounter with SI-7 Agent Kiernan, and we're on your way to Moonbrook. My, what a marvelous memory you have, young Pendaren. <laughs> well, let's see. Ah, yes, Gadget and I passed the night in the comfortable but somewhat Spartan Inn at Sentinel Hill, overseen by the charming innkeeper Miss Heather, who was quite hospitable to Gadget and I. As I lay in my bed, I could see Gadget sitting up, the moonlight glowing off her lovely pink hair and highlighting her soft cheeks. Um, Brother Cadfall, I'm sorry to interrupt your story, but I have to ask, do you have feelings for Gadget? My, my, my goodness, I'm, whatever do you mean? I mean, it's just sometimes when you describe her, like what you just said about her hair, I get the feeling that maybe there was something between the two of you. Well, of course, I hold Gadget in the very highest of esteem. Her intellect is remarkable, and it was an honor to share in her adventures. But, of course, anything beyond that is impossible. <sighs> Gadget was, and always will be, married to her craft. Ah, I I see. I'm, I'm sorry. Please, please, go on with your story. Yes, yes, of course. Let's see, where was I? Oh, yes. Well, at the direction of Agent Kiernan, we made our way southwest to the village of Moonbrook. And on the way, we both remarked on the unusual meteorological phenomenon that we could see to the west. We must explore that someday, Gadget, I said as we rode. Yes, but no time for that, dear Cadfile, she replied. I have a feeling that we are closing in on the conclusion to this foul affair and she quickened the pace. Moonbrook rose up before us, an ominous-looking place, and there we found Captain Alpert, commander of the Stormwind Detachment there. After introductions all around and a brief explanation of why we were there, the good captain expressed his concern over the increased agitation amongst the displaced citizens in the area. He felt it was the result of a propaganda campaign and begged us to go seek out some of the materials in the village. Gadget and I agreed, and we were off. Well, as soon as we entered the first of the ramshackle buildings, we were accosted by a Moonbrook thug, who Gadget readily dispatched with her boomstick. Observe his red bandana, Cadfile, Gadget said. Look familiar? Why, yes, it looks remarkably like the materials we found when we were investigating around the Furlbrow's farm. Whatever could it mean? What indeed, Cadfile, she said with a furrowed brow, but would say no more. 
We continued our search for the propaganda, and with each piece we found, Gadget grew increasingly alarmed. Each one was signed with the letter V, and stated that the time of redemption was at hand. One item we found was a journal, and as Gadget read it, she thumped the book and pointed out a word to me on the page. Eureka! she exclaimed. There it is, CAD file, just what I was looking for. And she pointed out a line that read, The Brotherhood will be reborn. We've arrived none too soon, Gadget said. But perhaps our most shocking discovery was a tattered front page of the Moonbrook Times that reported on the murder of what were described as four homeless Samaritans behind Furlbrow's farm by an enraged monk and a hunter who were heard to be shouting curses. I say, Gadget, is that article referring to us? I said as I read over her shoulder. Gadget crumpled the paper in a fury. What a ridiculous accusation, she grumbled. I've never used an obscenity in my life. As we made our way back to Captain Alpert, we could overhear shouts and conversations from the residents of the area demanding that the government of Stormwind be called into account for its offenses against them. We reported our findings back to Captain Alpert, and as he read over each piece of propaganda with its mysterious signature, he remembered only one V, Edwin Van Cleef, who had died many years hence. It is as I suspected from the beginning, Captain, Gadget said. Whoever is behind this is trying to reform the notorious Defias Brotherhood and is invoking the memory of Edwin Van Cleef. Captain Alpert quickly agreed and bade us go to observe the goings-on of a rally that was forming in the center of town. It was there that we observed a now all-too-familiar shadowy female figure standing on top of a hay wagon, inciting the homeless by pointing out their plight in comparison to the wealth of the king of Stormwind and calling for accountability of Stormwind and the alliance for what had befallen them. The crowd roared its agreement. When we reported back to Captain Alpert, he felt the key to uncovering this mystery was identifying the shadowy figure, and to this end, he sent us to Theralius, a wise and impressive-looking Draenei shaman standing nearby before an incense brazier, whose perfume had suffused the air with exotic fragrances. Theralius said the only solution was to delve into the mysteries of the past, by taking the incense brazier into the dead mines, a location of great significance in the history of Westfall. We're spending an awful lot of time in mines on this adventure, I grumbled as we made our way to the southern edge of town where we were to find the mine entrance. As we wound our way through the warren of tunnels in the mine, we were both shocked by the many homeless that had sought refuge there. Couldn't we take a moment to help these poor souls, I whispered to Gadget, but she was so focused on her quarry that I don't think she heard me. When we reached our destination, we put down the brazier and lit the incense, and its potent fumes put us both into a deep trance where we observed an event from the past, an encounter in the heart of the mine between Edwin Van Cleef and four members of the Stormwind Army. We watched in horror as the outnumbered Van Cleef was cut down, and, as the soldiers left, a little girl appeared, weeping over the body of her fallen father. 
When we came out of the trance, the expression on Gadget's face was sad and knowing. Come, Cadfile, we must get this information back to Marshal Grian immediately. And before long, we were there, on the steps of the keep in Sentinel Hill, reporting what we had seen to a shocked Marshal Grian and Lieutenant Lane. I had no idea he had a daughter, he exclaimed. It was then that young Hope Saldine came out of the keep, with a look of triumph on her face. Why, Miss Saldine, Gadget said, or should I say, Miss Van Cleef. And as Gadget made this astounding proclamation, Hope Saldine transformed before our eyes into Vanessa Van Cleef, the now-grown daughter of the fallen Edwin Van Cleef, attired all in red, and she cast a binding upon the marshal, Lane, and the nearby guards, sparing Gadget and myself. She was soon joined by other members of the now-reformed Defias Brotherhood and turned to go. Vanessa, Gadget called out to her, why did you have the furrow brows killed? Van Cleef turned to us with a sad expression on her hard face. I had no choice, she said. They knew me as a child, and I could not risk them identifying me as my father's daughter. Gadget gave a knowing nod as Vanessa Van Cleef took command of the members of the Brotherhood, and they proceeded to put what little remained of Sentinel Hill to the torch. Well, the mystery we had come to investigate had been solved, so at the behest of Marshal Grian, we traveled to Stormwind to report our findings to Grand Admiral Jess Tareth, who said that a battalion would soon be dispatched to put down the rebellion. Later that evening, as we shared a repast at the Gilded Rose, I asked Gadget how she had come to know that Hope Saldine was, in fact, Vanessa Van Cleef. Quite simple, dear Cadfile. All the clues, such as the red cloth, the mysterious shadowed female figure, led me to only one possible conclusion. Whoever was behind the murder was trying to bring back the Defias Brotherhood and right the wrongs done to the poor citizens of Westfall and Edwin Van Cleef. This was more than just a simple murder, Cadfile. When I learned that Hope Saldine had come to the Saldine farm as a little girl, alone and claiming no knowledge or memory of who she was, I began to suspect. The murder of the Furrow Brows was mystery enough, but when I heard about Hope and her work with the homeless, I began to think upon what had happened in the sad history of Westfall, which I have read extensively on, and the rise and fall of the Defias Brotherhood and its notorious leader. But it was thanks to the shaman Theralius that I got the confirmation that I needed. The person behind it all was not just anyone, but Edwin Van Cleef's own daughter. Remarkable, I said to Gadget as I was to say many times in our adventures together. Gadget, I asked, do you think that sending more troops to Westfall was the right response? Shouldn't they find some way to help the people there rather than confronting them with force? Gadget sighed and sipped at her tea. Dear Cadfile, I'm sorry to say that some mysteries defy even my abilities to understand. Well... My goodness, would you look at the time? Well, Tashmafuni, it seems that you have thoroughly enjoyed the tea and cakes again. 
I must make an even bigger batch for next time. I would enjoy that very much, as well as another story, Brother Cadfile, as I'm sure our listeners will as well. Thanks for listening to another installment of The Chronicles of Gadget and Cadfile, sponsored by Krog's Fine Female Leathers, purveyors of custom-fitted leather armor for the well-equipped female adventurer. Krog's Leathers, fit, form, function, and fashion. The Half-Hell Report is a fan-based fictional radio broadcast based on World of Warcraft. All place names, character names, and music from World of Warcraft used in the Half-Hell Report are the exclusive property of Blizzard Entertainment. World of Warcraft is a trademark or registered trademark of Blizzard Entertainment Inc. in the U.S. and other countries. No copyright or trademark infringement is intended by the Half-Hell Report. This show is brought to you by Dragon Powered Studio. Find more at dragonpoweredstudio.com.